very early on, we had some very honest conversations about what my expectations were as far as my professional life. And I always made it very clear that I never intended to stay at home and give up my career, so to speak, in order to be a full-time mum. If you want a satisfying career and a fulfilling family life, this is the podcast for you. Join me, Joel Lulovich, and me, Lucy Dickens, as we share strategies and advice to help you keep your balls in the air. Welcome to the Juggle Podcast. Hi, I'm Jo. I'm Lucy. Welcome back to the Juggle Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Pierre Turchinov, who has been doing the juggle for over 20 years. We're hoping that because she's been doing it for so long that she'll know all the answers. Pia manages a portfolio career and holds a number of non-executive and advisory positions. She's a mother of three daughters and is an enthusiastic champion for diversity, disruption and enabling female entrepreneurship. It was a great conversation with Pia and she really provided a different perspective to what we've heard before on the Juggle podcast because most of the women we've spoken to have been, like us, very new in some ways to motherhood, whereas Pia's been doing it for a bit longer than the rest of us. And it was great to hear her reflections on how she has found managing the juggle for the last 20 years. And I especially loved that Pia set out to be a working mother. So from the very start, she's been managing her career and her children. And it's nice that she can look back on that and tell us that all will be okay. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that, you know, it'll be swings and roundabouts, as she calls it, rather than a balance, as we all know, that doesn't really exist. And one of the things that I particularly took away from the conversation was her comment about luck and how every time she hears someone say, oh, you're so lucky to have a partner who's so involved or taking on responsibility, she would always respond with, no, it's not luck. It's about having honest conversations with my partner about what it is that I want in life and need out of life and making sure that we work together to get that and achieve those things for both of us. And make sure you stick around to the end because Pia has some really good advice about learning to let go and realizing that it's okay not to be perfect because that doesn't even exist. Definitely not in my life. (laughs) Um, Thanks again to Law CPD for bringing this episode to you. As you've heard, Law CPD offer online professional development courses that make it really easy for you to do your CPD on the go. They're offering 25% off all their online courses until the end of May, which is really rapidly approaching. So you've only got a few days left using the code MAYJUGGLE, which is M-A-Y JUGGLE. You can find all their courses at lawcpd.com.au. And to make sure you don't miss our episodes, please make sure you hit subscribe. Thank you for joining us, Pia. Thank you. Glad to be here. So getting straight into it, what I want to know is, what time did your day start today? (laughs) Uh, Today was 4.30 in the morning. Bit of an early bird, I must confess. And is that a standard thing for you? Talk us through a typical day. I do start usually around 5, I guess. I find that I get the first few hours in front of the computer. I can be very productive before the rest of the world wakes up. Also, I do a lot of work with the East Coast, so I guess that keeps me in tune with what they're doing. So I confess I tend to fall asleep very early in the evening in front of the TV, so um, I don't burn a candle at both ends. <laughs> Sounds like you will have earned it by then. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So you are now managing a portfolio career. Tell us a little bit about that. What does that entail for you? 
Oh, it's really exciting. And it's something that's very much evolved. And I was trying for many, many years actually trying to find a way of, of balancing all the things that I wanted to be involved in. And it's, it's now turned into what is quite commonly known as a portfolio career. That just means that I no longer have one single job or one single employer or do one particular thing, but rather have the luxury of choosing the projects that I want to be involved in, how much time I want to spend on each project. And I guess that allows me that flexibility to really keep my fingers in many different pies. So that involves everything from advisory positions and board roles as a non-executive director in a number of organisations as well as being heavily involved in the not-for-profit sector through women in technology in Western Australia, and then running a new startup. So launched a new startup last year, and that is like any other business, time-consuming and all-consuming. Especially baby businesses. Absolutely. They need a lot of love, a lot of attention, and a lot of very early morning starts. (laughs) There's a lot of talk, especially amongst women, about how many days you work. Are you full-time? Are you part-time? And, you know, how are you fitting your work in around your life? Lucy and I aren't really advocates for crunching it all down to numbers. But how much would you say your life is around work and other things? It's a really interesting question and I guess I've trained or I'm trying to train myself not to think in terms of full-time or part-time. For me, it's a matter of what choices do I make each week? What do I have to achieve? What would I like to achieve? And then what else fits in that I I want to make happen? And that includes family and personal time. So uh, gone are the days, I guess, it's certainly not a Monday to Friday job and I don't think about it as a 12-hour day or a 14-hour day or an 8-hour day, but rather this week I will need to achieve X. What do I need to do to make that happen? And I will do so. The flip side of that means that next week perhaps I might have the luxury of saying, well, I want to go away for three days. I don't have to ask anyone for permission. I just need to arrange my schedule. So it gives me the flexibility to, I guess, work when I have to. But it is a reality that it means that you also work on weekends and you work after hours. It's a choice you make. Mm. But we find, or at least I find, and I think I speak for Joe as well, that when you have that flexibility and you're able to work on the things that you want to work on, it doesn't matter if you're working on what is a weekend because every day is just the same. I mean, you might have a Monday off or you might have three days off and go away with your family, like you just said. Very true. And again, if that's something that you're happy to accommodate and your family will accommodate, then it can be really the best of both worlds. And that's an active choice that I've made. It didn't happen by by happenstance. And it's something that I sort of had to evolve and create so that it allowed me all those options, while at the same time still feeling that I'm doing something really worthwhile. I'm being remunerated for my time and effort. And I keep getting that inspiration to keep wanting to learn more, to do more, or to meet new people. So it's still giving you that creative juice as far as professional life goes but it allows you to fit it around everything else that you want to do. So it's been a very active choice for me and something that certainly took me a number of years to get to where I am now. And it's still a planning process, I should say. So your oldest child is 21. So you've, as we said, been doing this juggle of work and family for quite some time. What have you found 
has worked for you? What sort of strategies have you used that have worked during that time? And, you know, if you want to share with us when you went back to work as such, if there was a break from work or not, and how all of that worked, that would be great. I guess I've been lucky in that I've experienced a number of different facets while I've had my family over the years. I started off my life as a commercial lawyer in Sydney. It's a very traditional corporate environment, very large international law firm. The expectation was that you would work 14-hour days and the competitions were honest to who would turn the lights off the latest <laughs> and, the first morning. and then you got kudos for that. <laughs> um, but at that stage, I didn't have children. So, you know, I had the luxury of being able to invest as much time as I wanted in that but quickly realised it wasn't conducive to how I wanted to live my life and was fortunate enough, I guess, at a very relatively young age to be offered the opportunity to run the family business. So I stepped out of the corporate world with no children to running a family business which was in the uh, jewellery trade. We were in the uh, high-end diamonds, gemstones, all those sparkly, lovely things. And though responsible now for a workforce and for multiple retail outlets and at a time when you had seven-day trading already in New South Wales. Right. So it was in that context that I started my family. Right. Um, That was both a benefit as well as a real challenge because the benefit is when you're running your own business is that you can work your way around your family. You can have your baby, you know, stashed underneath the counter if you need to. <laughs> you have to go to a doctor's you know, meeting, you can. You don't have to ask permission. The downside was that, of course, you know, you have seven-day training, you have responsibilities, and no one else is going to do the work for you. Um, so my first big learning there was, was it a learning or was it an active choice, is I picked the right partner. Mm. So I guess very early on, we had some very honest conversations about what my expectations were as far as my professional life. And I always made it very clear that I never intended to stay at home and give up my career, so to speak, in order to be a full-time mum. It was pretty apparent that that's not the way I'm wired. I love my kids, I love my family, but my husband always told me, you know, go back to work after a few months because I just go crazy. (laughs) Lucy and I share very similar thoughts, you know, very much believe in ourselves as whole people. And I think that when your work and your career and your profession mean so much to you, it's very difficult to feel like you're being that whole person when you put that on hold. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I'm lucky to have the right husband or you're lucky to have the right partner. I Not so flippantly. I say it as a bit of a joke, but I honestly believe it's not a matter of luck. I think it really is choice. You need to really make conscious decisions when you're choosing a life partner that that partner understands your values and understands your desires as far as that whole person goes, the way you put it. And I think a lot of people gloss over it and think, oh, no, we'll sort that out down the track or I'll make a sacrifice for a few years. And relationships are about patterns. And I guess very early on in our relationship, we said that pattern that it was an equal partnership so that we had my husband at home with the kids when they were babies, you know, looking after them on Saturday, Sunday if I had to work. Mm. And it was no big deal and he wasn't a hero and he wasn't the type that I had to prepare all the lunches or the snacks so that he could eat while I wasn't there. (laughs) Whenever I hear those stories of... of you know, women or friends having to say, I'm going away for a week. So I've prepared and frozen seven days worth of meals. And I've got the list of the schedule of everything that's going on. I'm like, wow, you know, 
two things. One, do you really need to do that? Does your husband really not know how to cook a meal or what the schedule is for the week? Or is it just that you feel better because you're feeling like you're not giving up your responsibilities, you know, abdicating your responsibilities? I think you're right there. And I think it's a matter of control. Mm. It's actually being uh, consciously happy to divest control over a part of life that traditionally, let's be honest, a lot of women feel is their domain. Yes. As long as we keep thinking that the partner won't do it as well as we do or yes. you know, our standards, that's where we're creating a real tension for ourselves. So yes. that ability to be able to say, well, as long as it gets done, that's good enough. It may not be the way I would have done it. But the kids haven't starved, they haven't run away from home and the house hasn't burnt down. So let's call that a success. (laughs) (laughs) And I have trouble giving up control in areas generally. So (laughs) adding in anything like societal pressures around what a woman and a mother is supposed to be doing in the home definitely does add to that sense of need to keep tabs on it all. And I think it's a matter of it's evolving too, you know. And for me, I mean, my my children, I've got three daughters So for me, it's also very much been a journey of modelling the behaviour that I think will give them the tools to empower them as they grow up in the sense of I wanted them to see an independent mother that was still valid in her own human right, in her own being. Modelling that a really powerful way for me to hopefully put my children on the right path as well. Do you think that things are different for women starting to have their children now? and still wanting to maintain a career as opposed to how they were when you started a family? Uh, In many ways, I think it's changed and yet some things seem to be very much the same. So everything's changed, but nothing's different. So I think we're moving the dial slightly in that there is more of a conversation around real flexibility and choices. And I think it's not just for women, but parents as a whole. And that's really encouraging because part of this shouldn't just be focused on the female role and the mother role, but it should be around parenting. The more we make flexible workplaces the norm for men as well, the easier it will be for women to adapt and make the most of this environment. So that's changed. I don't think there was such a ready mindset 25 years ago where men were still very much frowned upon if they said I'm leaving early to pick up the kids from school or I'm coming in late because you know my wife's got a work commitment or something that's changing but yet there's still a lot of very traditional obstacles I think around progressing through career paths and really then hitting that senior management and those real choice roles still equally as as challenging as it was and very much still a sense of what are you willing to give up to make that happen. So looking back at your journey, you you mentioned that when you had your children, you were working in the family business and then you've progressed onto what you now have, which is your portfolio career. And you said at the start that that was very much an active choice for you, that you intentionally set out about building your career in that way. Why and how does somebody go about doing that? I mean, we speak to women who find it hard enough to get one part-time role, let alone several of them. (laughs) Well, I should say that after running the family business, we eventually sold it uh, just after I gave birth to my second child who arrived two months premature. And literally as I was rushing to hospital, I remember saying to the doctors, well, I can't have my baby today because my staffing roster doesn't (laughs) (laughs) 
like with many things in life, at that same time, we put the business on the market. So we were in the process of selling the business, having a two-month premier baby, and to top it off, we were moving to WA. So that was a cycle, I guess, in my career where I then ended up in Perth, went back into the law, and at that point found, I guess, the cho- I come back to choice. I chose to work with a smaller law firm that gave me the flexibility to live the life that I wanted to and accommodate my children, while at the same time really challenging that sort of professional development. But that saw an evolution into things that are less traditional legal portfolio and more around the strategic side of businesses developing. So I moved into that consulting space. And as soon as you move into that consulting and, in effect, self-employment space, you open up that way of thinking of, well, I can choose projects. The downside is that you're always hunting for work. The upside is you've got lots of flexibility. So I guess over the years I've dipped in and out of what I call traditional employment and self-employment, realising that I need that constant change of pace and the newness of roles that I wasn't getting in the traditional corporate world because it's not structured that way. But the strategic choice came about by saying, what skills do I need to acquire in order to live that life that I want to professionally? So I knew that I was targeting board positions. I knew that I wanted to become involved at more strategic level in organisations, but I didn't necessarily want to go chasing the consulting jobs, which is a different type of market. So it was about actively going out and doing things like going to the um, AICD, it's the Australian Institute of Company Directors course. Give yourself the skills that you know the marketplace wants and expects from men and women. And a big mantra of mine is always, if we're going to compete as women in this space, we need to equip ourselves with the same tools that men bring to the table. That means we need to have the same language and we need to be able to understand the context in which these decisions are made. So for me, it was a gradual step. And yet, in many ways, it was quite an intentional one. What do I want the end result of my work life to look like? And I knew that was flexibility, freedom of choice and autonomy. Now, in order to make that happen, you're going to have to make some sacrifices. The sacrifice, I think, in many ways in this space is you don't have that big brand value behind you that a lot of people value. You know, who do you work for? In terms of the status and the job description, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people get a lot of satisfaction out of that. You know, I work for X company. So you have that halo effect, which you don't have if you're out on your own. The flip side is you've got a lot of choice. You get to work with a lot of cool people on a lot of cool projects. And you very much determine what that's going to look like. So it's about strategic choice. But I keep emphasising, I think, the need to really skill and reskill and upskill constantly that you're not just relying on your traditional skill set because it is evolving, especially with technology at the moment. There's a lot of talk these days about the freelance world and that a lot of people are moving out of traditional employment to become freelancers. So, you know, these are people who are effectively going out as solopreneurs, becoming their own business of one and just contracting in and out of different companies. Now, there seems to be some similarities between this and the idea of a portfolio career, but I feel that there's a distinction between them. Do you agree with that? And how would you define the distinction? In my world, I think freelancers offer one particular type of service to multiple different clients. You know, whether you're a marketing freelancer or a, a communications freelancer or a creative, whatever that is. 
A portfolio career is more holistic, I think. It's the sense of using a variety of very interconnected skill sets to service a multitude of different projects. I don't want to make that sound too complex. But really, what do I do? I take my legal background, I take my corporate governance understanding, I take my strategic experience, and then I take the innovation world that I know so well. It's almost like a goodie bag. And then you use that skill set to apply to particular projects. So what I do on one project is different to the next, and that's a distinction between a portfolio career and the freelancer. Although I do think we're going to see an absolute boom in the freelancing and portfolio space because a lot of the next generation don't even see themselves as having a full-time corporate career in that sense. I totally agree. And I think that there's a big future for work moving down in, in those two categories. One of the questions I was going to ask you was how you ended up in all these different industries you know you've you started out in law and you're in Whitlow which is tech focused and then the building common which is construction industry I think it's really interesting and I think what I'm hearing from you is that instead of focusing on a profession or an industry that you started out in and so people kind of confine themselves to that you're looking at what your skills are and what your interests are which you say women empowerment diversity and how your skills and your interests can be applied and you just forget the boundary that it's the profession or the industry. I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's how often have you applied for a job? You go for that role and has a very clear position description. Only when you're in the role, you realise that there's a million other things that's expected of you or perhaps that what you're actually doing is not what was advertised. I think that's why I came to realise that if you take yourself out of the position description, you can actually focus on what value can I add to this particular project And that's when you can then have that opportunity to do lots of different things. My curse, I guess, is I look at things and I go, I can do that. (laughs) And then I figure it out. And, you know, so far touch wood most of the time. I haven't had too many. I've had failures along the way. And I think that's really important to stress too. I've been in roles where I thought, what am I doing here? I'm in over my head. I don't like it. I don't like the people I'm working with. So not everything is always rosy. And there's been times when you sit there and go, gee, you know, if I just had a traditional corporate career, I could now be fixed and I'd be paid this much money. And so I just want to be honest in that sense that it's not always perfect and you don't always get it right. But the self-belief that if it's not right, then what do I need to change it is the important bit. What I'm wondering is whilst you've been doing all of these different types of work, how have you managed or juggled your family commitments? With a lot of communication and a lot of constant learnings, I think. From my perspective, the work-life balance can be a bit of a misnomer. I don't think you ever truly reach a work-life balance. I think it's more swings and roundabouts. Definitely agree, yes. (laughs) So sometimes we get it beautifully right and other times it's one massive failure. But over the years, what I've done is very much, I mean, little tips. It's around sinking your family's expectation of what your role is parent is. I flippantly often say you have two parental units in this household, go ask the other parental unit. Kind of like the go ask your dad comment that I sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) But don't just presume it's mum making the decision. Joint family calendars. So we have one calendar where we can all put our family commitments in there or you know school commitments and that way we can have visibility as to where we're going to be. I do a lot of interstate travel. I make sure that's in my 
daughter's diary as well as my husband's diary. So at least they know that mum's out of the state. That helps a lot. It doesn't just help as far as, you know, the practicalities go, but just that mindset of, yes, you're only a phone call away or an email away, but still ultimately you're not in the state. So them knowing that up front. And over the years, I've had many, many conversations with my kids and quite honest ones, just checking in with them. How are you feeling? Are you okay with what mum's doing? If I take on a major new role or something, it's going to impact the family. I talk to the family about it. Now, thank goodness they've never said no. (laughs) (laughs) Your children are older than both Joe's and my daughter. Does it get easier as they get older and more independent? Definitely. There's hope. There's definitely hope. (laughs) It changes. I think one of the furfies about parenthood is that as they get older, it gets easier and somehow that is magically (laughs) self-managed. Mine are 21, 20 and 14. And look, what my 14-year-old needs of me is very different to what the older ones need. But you're still parenting in a way, except it's a lighter touch. So it certainly gets easier and independence is massive, but also you letting go. I think that's the big learning as well in that you can't be this perfect mother and you can't be there for everything and you may have to miss out on some school assemblies. Ultimately, in the big scheme of things, it's probably a very minor sacrifice, even if it's called a sacrifice to make. And in the big run of things, big scheme of things, I think the kids certainly have told me over the years they'd rather see me happy and fulfilled. And I know the older ones especially have often commented about the role modelling and how much they've learned just from being able to reinvent yourself and reapply a skill set and remain relevant. And I think that's really important because women, you know, I I saw an interesting report a while ago where they tracked the peak time for men and women in a professional career. And for men, the peak time came around 45 plus, relatively young, if you think you start your professional career in the mid-20s. For women, it's at 55 plus, Wow! according to this study. Now, I think that's really interesting because it means that, yes, we might lose a span of time when we're having family and until men can bear children, that responsibility still very much lies <laughs> with us. And it has an impact, let's be honest. It does impact you physically and mentally. But it means that if we're reaching our peak in our mid-50s, then we've got, in effect, time to still make all those wonderful contributions and still be really active and relevant a lot longer as well. But it is a slower start. We're sort of a slow burn with a longer tail, let's be honest. (laughs) And then you've got a whole lot of women who are choosing to wait until their 40s before they're having children. So I think there's a a significant number of women, definitely amongst the people that I know, who who are making that conscious choice to wait in order not to impact on their career. So I think it'll be very interesting. I agree. And I think it'll be interesting to see with technology and the future of work and the way work will look and feel in 10, 15 years time, whether there's going to be a big shift away from that. You know, so there's predicting as we sort of rely more on that integration of technology and work, will that give women more opportunities that can be flexible because it doesn't matter where you work from? Does that mean that, you know, having kids doesn't necessarily have to wait till your late 30s? because you can accommodate it better. I don't have an answer to this and everyone's got a different opinion, but I think it's quite interesting as to what choices will become available. So speaking of technology then, you're currently the chair of Women in Technology WA. Tell us about what you're doing there. 
Oh, it's a fantastic cause. So Women in Technology has been around 20 years this year. It was established from a very much traditional ICT, six women that came together and said things should change. They felt that they were quite isolated in a very male-dominated environment and created a support group for themselves. It's simple as that. 20 years on, what we found is that we now have a membership of more than 1,200 men and women in Western Australia, and very much it's around technology that's more or less ubiquitous. I mean, technology touches every single job nowadays. There's no roles, no sectors that aren't impacted. So what we're finding is women are joining the network simply to connect, to understand better where technology is going, but also where from a professional development perspective, how they can support each other, what the opportunities are, and I guess how collectively we can create a stronger voice around that diversity conversation. Because unfortunately, the statistics that were true 20 years ago haven't actually changed that much. So female participation in the ICT sector is still very low. Female participation in STEM is still very low. And that's where we need to shift gears for the next generation. We really need to enable our daughters and our sons to really leverage that STEM skill set to make them competitive because they will be competing not only with each other but globally because workplaces are now, it doesn't matter where you sit, not only whether you sit in the office or at home, but more importantly whether you sit in Perth or whether you're sitting in Canada. So your competition will be somewhere else. And then you've got technology AI in there as well. So I think the need for us to really continue and and really lift our conversation around STEM skills, diversity and the economic question, if we can activate 100% of the economy, then we're all collectively a lot better off than if we're just focusing on 50% of the economy, which is men. We're actually trying to take in many ways gender out of the equation not even male, female, but rather gender neutral. Why do we have to consider gender when it comes to workforce discussions? Absolutely. And it's it's interesting when you hear about those studies where they do blind recruitment, you know, for example, take the the sex and the name of the um, application process and and the the different hires that are made as, as a result. So what are some specific examples that Witwa is actually doing to role model gender diversity and encourage women in technology? I guess there's two main initiatives. One is our Next Generation program, which is called Tech Trails. Mm -hmm. So that is about taking predominantly female role models into secondary schools and role modelling what what we refer to as the squiggly career line. (laughs) Moving away from the conversation of what do you want to be when you grow up, What do you need to study? And then you become that. Rather to going, what are you good at? What are the skill sets that really motivate you? How do you acquire them? And where could that take you? Like the three of us, you know, I'm sure that when you went through law school initially, you didn't necessarily consider yourself out there creating podcasts or, you know, motivating a network of women around juggling work-life balances. Where our career leads us is very different to where we think we're going to we start off at. And that's what we're trying to teach the kids. And what was the second main thing that you said that Witwa's been doing? The other main thing is very much through our networking and our events program at Witwa. So we do everything from very informal tech exchanges where we just enable women from any network to come together, meet others, have conversations. Mm. So I think it's, again, that 
showcasing to women that you can be many things in your career, but you need to understand the choices available to you in order to make the most of it. And I think that's what WIT was all about. It's about showcasing, role modelling and just opening up doors. I had a great conversation with one of my daughters uh, recently along the lines of what I'm going to be when I grow up sort of thing. And it started off with I'm going to be a mum and then I think actually both my daughters were there and then the other one's like, well, I'm going to be a mum too but I'm also going to be. <laughs> and then the list got quite long and I and we talked about, you know, can you be more than one thing? And it was, you know, it was a great conversation to have with them to really emphasise, yes, you can be more than one thing. Look what mum's doing, you know. I'm mum, I have a business, I do this, I do that. You know, there's there's lots of different things that you can do and you, and you can do more than one of them at the same time. Absolutely. And you don't need to know what it is you're going to be doing at the end game. I think that's important too. Even as an adult and even as in the middle of my career, I would still say there's still lots of things that I probably haven't thought about. I have a vague idea of where it may go, but we don't have to preempt that pathway it would be a bit boring, wouldn't it, really, if we kind of knew exactly where we were going to end up through the rest of our lives. Predict our futures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you, you um, are definitely, as you've already shown us, a great example of someone who's walking a squiggly career path. And you mentioned that you've recently launched the new business building Common. Can you tell us about that and what led you to creating it? Well, it's quite funny because most of my, my ventures seem to involve women, empowerment and diversity. So I think there's a bit of a theme there. Uh, Building Common was created very much out of that mindset of lack of diversity in the building space. So women that are looking to build, renovate or develop property, not necessarily knowing where to start. It came about because a lot of women were approaching us and us, my co-founder is my sister-in-law, uh-huh. who, again, has a squiggly line. She started off her career as a psychiatric nurse and now is the CEO of a very large multi-million dollar construction company over on the East Coast. So there's that squiggly line. <laughs> the point being that women kept coming to us and saying, we love what you're doing. How do you do this? How do you actually get started in this space? Professional women, high net worth individuals, or perhaps women that were starting off but not understanding what the construction and trades industry is all about. There's a lot of gender-specific behaviour, shall we say. Yes. Um, (laughs) We both have tradie husbands. Oh, okay. So I'll be careful what I say. (laughs) (laughs) We're familiar with the construction industry, at least from the perspective of being the wives. (laughs) Yes. So, I mean, Building Con was created exactly for the other part of the population, not like you two. The ones that don't necessarily have husbands that know what they're doing or the ones that are confronted by tradies and builders that have a bit of that attitude of live it to me, love. Yes. Um, I'll sort it out. Yes. So our business really is around providing an online community and marketplace of toolkits that empower women to know where to start, what questions to ask, and importantly, who to ask it of in the build cycle. We found there's a lot of product in the design and colour space Yes. Support in the investment side, but no one really wants to look at that building cycle. And I think that's the gap that we found. And if we can empower, as we said, women in this space and we can activate more women as consumers, that leads to financial empowerment, but it also just leads to a sense of self-determination. If you know what you need to ask, it gives you a lot more power. 
I can really see it being a lead into more women joining the trades as well. I mean, I know that there's a lot of push from the big construction and housing industry associations to encourage women to join the trades. And, you know, we now have a CEO of the Master Builders Association that's a woman, which is fantastic. Um, So I can see something like Building Common really helping show that it's not just the engineering space or the creative design space where women can get involved. It's it's the actual on the tools project management too. Absolutely. Love to play a part in that because again, it's an option that should be available for our children. And a lot of women, especially as, as consumers, actually like the idea of having female tradies as part of the project. Not necessarily because a woman will always do a better job. But it can be for a multitude of reasons. I have one very good friend on the East Coast. She's a single mum, recently did a kitchen renovation. She said she just felt quite intimidated by a lot of the guys that were coming in, very blokey. Not that anyone threatened her, but she said it was an intimidation factor. And then added to that that she didn't really know what she was asking and didn't know if she was asking the right thing. It made her feel really disempowered and that meant that she just held back on the whole project. You know, so for her, it was then a matter of having to find somebody she felt comfortable with and trusted. As we said before, it's another aspect to that squiggly line. You know, why does it have to be a professional career that women follow? If you love building, if you love constructing, if you love putting things together or putting things apart. Some of the best innovators I've met are electricians and plumbers who seem to be great problem solvers. Let's get our kids into that. So Pia, just to finish off. What words do you live by and do you have a personal mantra? My personal mantra is very much, can I add value? And the other, the other real value, I think, is never underestimate the power of a conversation because you do not know where it's going to lead. So more often than not, I say yes to conversations and I think that's what's opened up so many wonderful doors along the way. It's really interesting, the point about conversations. I can see that just from running, doing this podcast and having conversations with people already mm. has opened up so many doors. So, yeah. That's- All you would have to do, Lucy, is look back to our conversation in January. And well, yeah. Because here. So. <laughs> There's one example. The other question we'd love to ask you is what is one piece of advice that you would give to women who are managing the juggle? Just one. <laughs> Be kind to yourself. I think that's really important, that we tend to be our harshest critics and we tend to have the highest expectations of ourselves. So if we can just forgive ourselves a little bit more, I think the rest of it will come together quite nicely. Such an important um, thing to remember. Okay, thank you very much for all of your time today. If anyone would like to find out more about Building Common, they can do that at buildingcommon.com and we will also share links to find Pia um, on LinkedIn and a couple of other places in the show notes attached to the episode. So please go there and get in touch with her and connect with her. Thank you so much, Pia. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure having this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Lucy and I have got a favor to ask today. We'd love you to pick your favorite episode and share it with a friend who you think would get value from it. You can do this from your podcast app. There's a little button with three little dots. And if you click on that, it'll give you the option to share with a friend. Thanks again to 3DHR Legal and to Law CPD for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to check out lawcpd.com.au and use the code MAYJUGGLE to get 25% off. See you next time. Happy juggling. Happy juggling.